Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother Kevin and I for what is going to be a stupendous podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. All of these books available one through eight at Amazon in paperback and ebook format. And if you're digging on the audio scene, you could get volumes one through six at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. And also, I invite you to take part in my new series, The Exorcist, three volumes, The Exorcist, Truth and Lies, Diabolica, and Full Moon. All of those are available at Amazon, and Diabolica is the only one currently available at Audible. So do partake of them And in so doing, you will be helping me a great deal. And now, my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Ah, marvelous, marvelous, darling. What's going on over there in N.C.? Yeah, N.C., it's a little chilly today. It's the first, uh, first evening here, Saturday night, that's a little chilly. I broke out some jeans and a long sleeve shirt for the first time. Yeah, so. I actually just turned the thermostat to heat. Whoa, we're not there yet, but it's it's close by. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I mean, it's not like the house was that cold, but it was, it was dropping, and it's probably going to go into the mid-50s tonight. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd rather the house be a little... Uh, a hint of warm than uh, a hint of cold. Yeah, no, but it was it was chilly today, and it was super windy with that storm off out by Bermuda or whatever. So the wind, uh, the cool wind, made it even a little chillier. But I liked it. You know, it's it's a nice break, and it shows fall is coming. Yeah, it's refreshing. And I love the you fall. Know? I love the fall. And you know, I was just talking to you that you know I wanted to go down to the surf and fish today. But the forecast was for the onshore surf from that Hurricane Teddy off in the Atlantic. And then we were supposed to have winds, which we did earlier today, 10 to 30 miles an hour out of the northeast. Mm. So I called it off, and now it's actually pretty calm. But as you said, the surf is still going to be up from the hurricane. Yeah, and you're going to hang out and talk Bigfoot and cryptids anyway. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> So, what do you got today, bro? Oh, we're going to venture into the creepiness and paranormal again. (laughs) Are we going to the graveyard with lanterns? 
Uh, yes, it'd probably be good for you to bring a lantern. <laughs> We're actually going on a damn tour tonight, Bill. A damn tour? A damn tour of okay. the Hales Bar Dam. Oh, man, that place is the creeps. You've heard of it, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be one of the haunted, most haunted locations in America. Exactly, exactly. It's uh, it's in southeast Tennessee, just west of the city of Chattanooga, and pretty close to the border of the state of Georgia. And like you said, it's, it's definitely the most haunted dam mm-hmm. in the U.S., but also one of the most haunted places. And it's really interesting. Apparently, it's just down the street from the most haunted hospital in the U.S., which is called Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. Great. Hey, man, something ain't right over something there. Something ain't right in that part of town. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh I mean, jeez. Yeah, you know, hospital, damn, what else? Haunted automobiles, people. What's going on over there? <laughs> it's a creepy place. We're going to get to uh, why it might be super creepy, too, you know. Okay. Why this is going on. So uh, this dam that I was taking you on a damn tour, maybe the best damn tour you've ever been on. <laughs> Sorry, can't get enough of that. <laughs> but uh, this dam was built in 1905, and it's right. the first multi-purpose dam of its kind. So, you know, one you can walk across, drive across. I don't know if you could drive across. You could definitely walk across it. And uh, it was used to uh, get hydroelectric power. So big concrete structure. Where is it? What is it damming? Is that the Tennessee River or something? It's a river. um, I'm not sure if it's the Tennessee River. It's right on what's called Nickajack Lake. Okay. It's the lake that it creates. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's Tennessee River, though. That's a good It might be the Little Tennessee River. Yeah, maybe they just created, they were creating a reservoir there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's also uh, hydroelectric power. Okay, good. Yeah. So um, this thing was built back there in 1905, and it was on land that was owned by the Hales family, H-A-L-E-S. And um, that's, you know, that that gives it its name, the Hales Bar Dam, right? Okay. And um, right from the start, the engineer that was designing this dam, he made a couple of big mistakes, right? Mm. And this was early on in these giant dam constructions. But uh, he didn't fully consider the geology of the land and the fact that it was on a really dangerous part of the river where they built it. And then the dam itself is built on uh, porous limestone. Oh, that's not good. No. So lots of problems with the construction. But then as you look into the paranormal side and a lot of the deaths associated with the early part of the building of the dam, um, you know, some say that the problems began long before the engineer ever made any of his decisions. Boy, oh boy. And you know what? In the, in the uh, land of uh, paranormal, as soon as you mention limestone and running water, uh, these dudes that are out there investigating all this haunting uh, shenanigans claim that both of those things are conduits for activity. Oh, I, I didn't know that about limestone. Yeah, limestone and running, running water, water on a property. Sure. Yeah. 
And we're going to touch on some of the characteristics of the running water, too, that might have caused problems here from a paranormal standpoint. Okay. So first off, and I I get two different stories on this. They're very similar. But um, the first story goes like this, that many years before, the land was cursed by a Cherokee war chief or the Cherokee war chief, and his name was Chief Dragging Canoe. Yeah, funny name. Probably better off paddling your canoe. I know. I actually uh, (laughs) read about it because it's like, you know, you got to figure out why he has that name, right? Right. And when you see pictures of him, I'll put some pictures of him on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. But he is like a mean, badass-looking dude. Right. <laughs> Being the chief chief war chief, or the head war chief of the Cherokee Nation. Uh-huh. And um, he was named apparently uh, Dragon Canoe when he was uh, he wanted to join a war party when he was a little kid. And his father said that he could he could stay with the war party as long as he could carry his own canoe. Um, Because, yeah, his father didn't want him to come. And uh, he tried to prove his readiness for war by carrying his heavy canoe with the war party. But he had to drag the canoe the whole way. So they called him Dragging Canoe. Oh, that's weird, huh? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, So pretty cool. So the, the two different parts of the story are one says that Chief Dragging Canoe cursed the land. And then the other says that Chief Dragging Canoe said the land was cursed. Um, because of all of the bloodshed that happened on this land. So, you know, the Cherokees uh, were pretty violent back there, apparently, in this on this land in the 1700s, uh, fighting with everybody and had taken on different allies at different times in the Revolutionary War. But a pretty bloody, a lot of bloody battles right around where they built this dam. Wow, man. Yeah, so either way... You know, whether he cursed it or he said it's cursed, both are bad, right? We can agree on that. Yeah, and I mean, what a bad time. You know what I mean? Back then Mm. with the wars, uh, knives, swords, you know. uh, Oh, yeah, arrows. Yeah, just really. uh, Hatchets, you know. Yeah, a tough time, you know. Yeah. You know, picture yourself just pulling a hatchet on somebody uh, in self-defense or otherwise, and just laying into them with that thing. It's just its very, very hard to fathom for a modern-day person. Yeah, brutal uh, brutal stuff going on. So, yep. so bad place. And then, get this, this, is, this gets to your comment about the limestone, only this one's about the water. Apparently, when they built the dam, they cut off this sacred whir- whirlpool. Um, and that whirlpool was sacred to the Native Americans, the Cherokees, and they believed that these whirlpools would take spirits to the afterlife when they died. So kind of as you looked into this natural whirlpool, they would think that the spirits, when someone died, would enter this whirlpool and go to the afterlife. <laughs> yeah, so pretty cool. But so, you know, the knuckleheads that built the dam built it on top of this whirlpool so that it couldn't, uh, you know, the Native Americans couldn't uh, get to it anymore. And in theory, the spirits couldn't get to it anymore to get to the afterlife. You know, I wonder if anybody had approached them and asked them what they thought or if they had approached the uh, builders and said, hey, can't you can't do this here, you know? 
Uh, you know how it is, Bill. It's like even if they did, it's the project. You know, somebody's got the land, they earmarked it, they get the funding. You know, the show's, yeah. show's going on. Boom, 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 right? Over the graveyard, over the house, over the whirlpool, whatever. Well, did you say graveyard? I did say graveyard. So as a matter of fact, there are two to three different graveyards that are underneath the dam. Oh, man. You know, it has to be. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Uh, they didn't move the graves. They didn't move the markings. Didn't move the bodies. Nothing. Unbelievable. Just built the damn dam on the dead bodies. You know, Kevin, (laughs) it just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, could you picture... Uh, going out over here in Long Island to Calverton Cemetery and just deciding, well, we need real estate. we got 100 acres over here. We're building condos. Uh, leave the bodies there. Nobody will know. Ooh. I mean, that's just, that's just wrong. There's something really, really wrong about that philosophy. It happens, though. You yeah. Know, I mean, of course, it happened here at the dam, but it still happens today. Yeah. yeah it's just, just crazy. How creepy is that? Yeah, three graveyards. I mean, I remember, um, you know, my bride and I, we looked at a house way back when over uh, over by you. I think it was in uh, Miller Place. And um, we really liked this house. And it was built on a graveyard. They had to disclose that in, uh, you know, in the paperwork. Really? They had yeah. to disclose that? Yeah, yeah. Was the neighborhood built on a graveyard or just that house? That house. Yeah, because some graveyards, you know, like I still pass them. There's one over in Manorville. Yeah, these are, you know, they're ancient graveyards, you know. Yeah, they're small, like maybe one family buried there. Exactly. People exactly. there, you know. Yeah, but still, Bill, like I was like, all right, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> yeah, and it makes you also wonder if anything was going on there that they disclosed that as well, you know, without saying, hey, you know, the house is haunted. Could be. Could yeah. Be. It, was, it was enough for us. Yeah, you know, that's like, it. You know, we really like this place, but, uh, you know, this graveyard that the house is built on. Ah. Yeah. And occasionally a green hand rises up out of your den floor. But, you know, <laughs> other than that, the house is swell. You got this bed and it gives you a massage sometimes, <laughs> you know. These green hands that come up out of the ground. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, so you know, the tragedy around this dam began almost immediately. And in 1906, so right after they started uh, working on it, one of the workers was shot and killed by an unknown gunman, which is kind of odd back then, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then another fell from a rock crusher and uh, was left with, like, very serious, you know, critical injuries. And then one of the boilers they were putting in exploded with many fatalities. Wow. Yeah. And then one of the um, the uh, Hales, the family that gave the land, they found a body of one of them on a railroad tracks that led to the dam. And uh, he was killed. They don't know how. And he, he they said that there was no alcohol or anything. So it was a suspicious death. But again, two years after they started working on the dam. Yeah, it sounds like some locals or even a local was really ticked off about what they were doing. Maybe took a pot shot at the one guy killing them and maybe did inhale on the railroad tracks. Yeah. 
You know, it doesn't take much. A lot of people are really, you just look at local business uh, building projects in your community and mine uh, when they have these town hall meetings. Yep. I mean, some people really get ticked off when you talk about building in their neighborhood. Oh, yeah, it's emotional. It's emotional. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure it was the same way then, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they finished up the dam in November of 1913. And the dam cost $10 million, you know, which doesn't sound like much. But in 1913, you can imagine how much $10 million was, right? Yeah, it was probably uh, a couple of hundred million today. Yeah. So the dam had like cracks in it along the way, and it suffered from severe leakage problems the whole way, including when they opened it. And get this. This is amazing. They had rag gangs. R.A.G. gangs that were formed where workers took rags, napkins, hay bales, clothing to plug the holes in the cracks. Oh, my God. You know. Yeah. It really, uh, how does it even go on, you know? Yeah. What You know, when does someone say, hey, you know, uh, guys, uh, stop the project here. Fire the guy who started it. We're either going to abandon it or redo it. We got to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, what's what strikes me as being similar in the modern day, right? Back in, what was it, the 80s, the big nuclear power plant out by you, Bill, that, you know, it wasn't spirits and stuff like that or graveyards, but like they built it on a fault line and then there was corruption on the project and everything else. And at one point, right, they just said, forget it, even though we spent a billion or two billion or however however many billion, they said this place is never going to open. Right. And then there was the public outcry from Long Islanders uh, saying that the design of Long Island and the ways on and off and out of the island. Yeah, there's no escape uh, route. There's no escape. Yeah. Dumb, dumb place for a big nuclear power plant. But anyway, so so this stuff happens, and sometimes they make the right decision even after making the wrong decision. But not this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there's been a couple of different shows and uh, YouTube videos and stuff like that, that that have gone here. They're basically going there all the time to investigate the paranormal, right? So the dam doesn't go all the way across the river anymore. I guess part of it sank into the river. Uh, but you can see it online. I'll put some links to it. And I'll put some links to these YouTube uh, shows about it. They're pre- some of them are pretty darn cool. I'll put them along with this episode when we uh, drop it. Um, But the different spirits and stuff that they see are interesting. So and somewhat consistent. So they when you go in this dam, pretty much any time you can go in it. You know, they do ghost tours and stuff like that. And believe it or not, Bill, this is pretty crazy. But if you look it up online, it's called a marina. Because there's slips near it, boat slips near it. But then they have people storing their boats right in the dam where people have seen these uh, entities. Uh, what do you mean storing their boats? You mean in the off season? No, like, in yeah, inside of it. Maybe in the current season, too. So, like, you can drive into the thing, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a big garage, you know, made out of concrete. And you'll right. see in it, there's boats parked on trailers. Oh, okay. Trailered boats. I'm yeah, thinking of boats boat. up on. No, uh, no, no. But I mean, like, I know boat storage is hard to come by. But are you going to store your boat inside of a haunted dam? Like, great, perfect. <laughs> like, what are you kidding me? Yeah, 
Yeah, sure, I want a store there. <laughs> so anyway, so so the typical things people see and hear when they're there are kind of interesting and consistent. So they hear kids laughing, like children laughing, not in a spooky way, but in like a playful way. Okay. And it turns out that when the dam was open, a lot of the kids would go to school on the other side of the river and they would walk through the dam to get to school and walk back through the dam to come from school, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting, right? The the folks that heard this didn't know that until after they investigated it. Yeah, but let me say this, uh, hearkening back to our last uh, uh podcast with the black-eyed children. Mm, uh, one of dem- my favorites. Yeah. Demons notoriously mimic children. Ah, be- okay. Yeah, because of their innocence. Ah. They figure, that, you know, the, the theory is that they, you're more attracted to a child than you would be to a growling voice, uh, you know, calling you over or telling you it was going to drag you to the depths of hell. Mm. So that's that's the theory behind that little kid stuff. Uh, you know how I feel, Kev. I don't think there's any little children running around in a dam or anywhere else uh, that didn't uh, buy a ticket to heaven. Yeah. So that's no, that's my you. gig. I'm with you. And it's pretty creepy. Um, they also see figures moving around. And on this one uh, video on YouTube, this group went in to scuba dive into the flooded bottom portion of the dam, and they Ugh. took cameras with them. So, you know, what's scarier than going in a haunted dam? Scuba diving in a haunted dam. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, you know, to, to me, why would you even want to do that, though? The dam could collapse or breach or something while you're there? Uh, it's just, it's all bad. Yeah, people do crazy things. It's man. all bad, you know. <laughs> you better get a lot of likes on your YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when they went in and on their video, they show with a thermal camera, this isn't in the water, this is before we went in the water, before they went in the water. They're showing, uh, looking at this office area that's up on the second level when you're inside of this cavernous dam. Um, mm-hmm. where And that area is notorious for seeing uh, spirits or demons lurking and they saw the heat signature of like this small person up there on the catwalk and when they went up there they did they have a heat signature video of the person that that's in the video next to this uh demon heat signature wow yeah so they got it documented and there's nothing they went up there afterwards and they're showing you the wall behind it it's like a wooden painted wall and he said it was cold to the touch you know and you can see the color of this demon signature is the same as the human wow. standing next to it so super creepy yeah that is creepy man you know yeah very freaking odd stuff yeah wow. and it was interesting you know getting to the the uh demon side of things a little further one of the guys when he was going in like they were going in to shoot some of this video on uh youtube and I was thinking of you, Bill, He said what you're saying about these demons. He said, make sure that you are prayed up before you go in here. If you're walking in the light, darkness is afraid of you. If you're yep. walking in the dark, beware. Yeah, they know. Yeah, they I, know. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, when you're half-stepping, when you're playing with, you know, being neither here nor there, 
Yeah. Uh, they understand that and they know that. And they also know that your veil of protection is lifted. Yeah. Uh, so they have access. They have access to you almost like a legal right uh, to come after you. Yeah. Uh, when you're in that state, that spiritual state. Yeah. Very creepy. A lot of people don't understand that or even buy into it, you know, but as far as I'm concerned, that's the real deal. Yeah, and another one of the uh, TV shows, uh, Kindred Kindred Spirits on the Travel Channel, they went in there, uh, the two hosts, you know, a man and a woman, I can't think of their names, um, and um, they had it filming, and, like, they had a feeling that they were with this one of these entities there, and something slapped the host in the face. Wow. And then it was throwing small rocks at them Hmm. right while they were standing there on camera. Yeah. Like just hitting them in the face with pebbles, and they didn't know where they were coming from. Incredible. Yeah, really creepy. I mean, it gives me yeah. chills talking about it. Yeah, no, it's it's creepy stuff, you know, because uh, there's not a lot, depending on what state you're in, yeah. uh, that you could do about it, you know, other than get the heebie-jeebs and run the heck out of there. No, exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's so crazy. So that's the Hales Bar Dam, Bill. Yeah, that is a creep fest, man. Definite uh, creep fest. And I, again, I'll put that. There's a ton of videos out there of these different encounters too. I'll put a few of them that I liked, especially up on the website with the, in the episode section. Yeah, Kev, just explain to the listeners. We had one listener write in. Uh, he was unaware where the pictures and postings were in relation yeah, to. Yeah, so when you go to BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com. You know, it's a website, so www.bigfootterrainwoods.com. And um, there's an episode section. And when you go in the episode section, uh, this episode is episode 66. You'll see all of the episodes are listed there with a little description of the title. Uh, I mean, the title, a little description of the podcast, and then where it's relevant to have some links. So I'd say it's about 50% of them have some links, some photos, some newspaper articles, YouTube videos, etc. They're in there with the description of the podcast. Now, one thing on our website, you cannot listen to the podcasts from there. You have to go to a podcast player. It was just a lot easier for us to do. But, of course, if you got to the website... You already have listened to the podcast, so keep listening to it wherever you do. Right. So, but they can get the links. Oh yeah, the links are all there. Right. The links are there, but the podcast has to be picked up on your podcast player. Right. But not right. every episode has links. You know, that's some of right. Them, this particular one, there'll be some good YouTube video links to it. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you're listening, you know uh, from the podcast. If there are links, because Kev's telling you, I'm posting this. And it's fun. You know, just go take a look around. Sometimes I'll put a a funny link inside of an episode that has nothing to do with the episode. That's just pretty funny. You know, maybe a Bigfoot playing a saxophone or something like that. (laughs) Hey, is he any good? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you something. Tonight I have two things here. One of them is very brief. It came out of a hunter's diary. Uh, I guess you would call it a hunter's log, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. And the other one is going to uh, curl your toenails. (laughs) Have you ever had curled toenails? I haven't, as a matter of fact. (laughs) I'm not sure I want curled toenails. (laughs) 
So I'm going to start with this uh, brief account out of this uh, uh, diary or logbook. And uh, this uh, I'm presenting you basically with a, uh, a couple of pages. Well, it's actually one page from a hunter's diary, which his great grandson uh, had brought to me to read. Uh, this was really the, it was actually two pages, but they were so small that in a condensed form, it's like a half a page, uh, in front of me right here. Uh, basically this is the only page that I deem to be of interest in the diary. Uh, and I think that you guys, our listeners will find this interesting as well. Now it's going to sound a little weird, but I'm reading it basically just the way it was. So at the top of this page, it says, New Brunswick, last fall, November 1, 15. So we're talking 1915. Maple Grove, Southwest Miramichi River Camp. And this is what was written. The owner, his brother, a cook, and two other guides comprised the working side of our party. David Reese, David Hinsley, and I were on the paying end. We began in Chicago with layovers in Toronto, Montreal, and Quebec, and arriving at Maple Grove on November 1. Upon leaving Maple Grove, there was nearly a 20-mile hike to reach the river's camp, which we accomplished in one day's time on horseback. As the cook prepared our meal and while the guides were hitching our teams, we began to scout the area, finding numerous moose, deer, and bear tracks, as well as several large unidentified tracks in the fresh snow. Between the camp and the Taxis River, our troop had gotten a jump on three deer, two does and one buck. We bagged the buck and the does were left to run. During the first few days at camp, we saw numerous cow moose and many deer. David Reese became the laughing stock of the camp when he and a guide returned with the tail of a large, unclothed, half-covered man that they had seen darting through the trees. I bagged a nice bull using my 30-odd-6 hollow point, the bullet performing excellently on the deer and moose. I used the 280 Ross 160-grain hollow point on another bull, penetrating the abdomen. The bull traveled about a mile before we caught him and finished him off with two more slugs. David had used the 30-06 Remington 180-grain cartridge, placing several shots through the side of another bull's broadside, after which it ran some 100 yards and dropped. Hensley had an opportunity at another bull, but passed because his head was not to his liking. Total game seen, 20 moose, three of which were bulls, three calves, 35 deer, 
and one hairy man. Now, isn't that weird, Kev? That is really weird. Just like a strange little account of some activities on this particular hunt, you know. Yeah. Uh, And at the end, a totaling of what, you know, they had seen while they were there. Huh. It just kind of really strange, huh? That talking about the hairy man running in the trees and them laughing it up at him. And then in the end, he lists almost like jokingly, you know. Well, it makes you think that they must, uh, you know, maybe they've seen one before. By the way, sorry for the background noise. I think uh, a full squadron of Apache helicopters is flying over my house. (laughs) Great. We get that once in a while next to the lake here. They come over low like 10 of them in formation, and they are loud. Yeah, well, you know. It's uh, it's intimidating, you know, when you hear them. Yeah, well, that's what they say around here. They say, that's the sound of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want that squadron of Apaches popping up over the tree line if you were in a yeah enemy uh, vehicle, armored yeah, or ro- otherwise. Rolling, rolling those thirty caliber uh, Gatling guns at you. A couple Police. of hellfires, whatever. Yeah, talk about shredded wheat. <laughs> <laughs> I got your hollow point right here, buddy. <laughs> now, listen, I'm going to jump right in here to this uh, second account, uh, which came to me from a retired law enforcement officer. And uh, he told me that he had faced such ridicule about this encounter that I had agreed not to even mention what state he worked in. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is John Sorensen's story. By the way, folks, the people's names I mentioned are not their names. So here he says, I was a 24-year veteran of the force when this encounter happened, and I was on highway patrol that night. Most of the old timers preferred the night shift because it was typically more quiet than the day. And on this particular night, the weather was crisp and clear. Now, there were a couple of stop signs that I would generally set up on early in the shift. And then later in the night, I would hit the main highway with the radar gun. I had a spot that I would back into, which was on a grassy edge of the highway. The forest was at my back and a rock wall dominated my left side. By the time a speeder made it around this granite outcropping and saw my squad car, the gun had already bagged their speed. That night, I had already tagged a couple of speeders and was preparing for the next. I turned the car off momentarily and stepped into the trees to take care of some business. It was pitch black and moonless. Trust me when I tell you, there was no one around in this stretch of highway, just woods and rocky walls. I was just finishing up and turning towards the car when I could see headlamps shining around the bend coming towards my position. Remember, Nobody could see me here until they had virtually passed in front of me. 
Just as I had seen the glare of the oncoming lights, the car's horn started sounding, and they were leaning on it quite heavily. They flew by and kept going, and I had taken maybe three steps towards the car when a large, dark mass came into view from around the wall on my left side. Whatever it was came walking along the shoulder of the highway, and it was huge. I immediately knew this was what the car had honked at. I was reaching for my flashlight out of my belt loop, and I said, Hey, you, stop right where you are, and hit it with the light. When I did so, it had turned toward me and growled. Its eyes were glowing red before the flashlight had even hit them. When the flashlight's beam met its face, it let out the loudest, most intense roar that you could possibly imagine. Its head held high into the air and screaming like King Kong. The mouth was wide open, and I could see its teeth. I grabbed my revolver and prepared to fire, but I didn't have time to shoot before it had fled. It took maybe four fast steps or leaps for it to clear all four lanes of the highway and both shoulders, disappearing into the night. I jumped into the car and started it up, flipping on the headlights, and I saw nothing. So I turned on my spotlight and moved across to the far shoulder. When I did, I caught it briefly looking in my direction with its red eyes beaming in the darkness. The damn things were like red reflectors on a kid's bike and it turned and hightailed it out of sight into the woods. In total, there were four units on patrol that night, with the dispatcher and sergeant being back at the station. When I got on the radio, I started to tell everyone what I had seen, which I didn't think would be taken as a joke, but that's exactly what happened. The chatter coming over the speaker was ridiculous, and the dispatcher told me to fill out a report. This Bigfoot had to have been seven to eight feet tall, and when the light hit it, I could see dark skin on its face, along with some hair that served as a beard. Its teeth were large white squares, like big chiclets, and the hair was quite long and matted. Its head and shoulders were like one unit, kind of like the turret on a tank. It was the most frightening thing you could imagine and then some. And I don't know why I didn't pull the trigger. But when you fire around as a cop, it's a big deal. And firing around at a Bigfoot, well, you can just imagine how well that would go over. As the thing turned across the street, I saw that it must have been five feet across at the shoulders, and the fur on its butt was totally encrusted with leaves and crap. While it was near me, the stench which was emanating from it was sickening. The next day, I came back to the spot with my truck. I parked on the shoulder and then walked back to where it had come from. 
I could clearly see heavy impressions in the soft grass on the shoulder. And then when I crossed over to the side where it had run from view, I could see even deeper impressions. These prints were large and maybe close to 20 inches long. You can't believe the crap that I had to put up with after that night, and I retired shortly thereafter with 25 years of service. And there you have it, my friends, yet another sighting by another policeman. Yeah, that's a pretty good one, Bill. The red eyes, and he points out, you know, we were talking about the red eyes again last week, but he points out that they were glowing red before he hit them with the light. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the coup de grace right there. Yeah. You know, and just then the like... stench, you know, the butt covered with leaves and uh, crap. Right. And then, um, uh, you know, the head and shoulders turning like a tank turret. Yeah. That's, you know, that that's some awesome, awesome and classic uh, hairy man descriptions there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's typical of like a cop, right? A detective, you're getting paid to be an observer. And, and this is why, you know, witness testimony, I mean, you can say what you want. Uh, people know what they're seeing. I mean, this guy gave a really good description for something he saw in a flashlight on a moonless night in a very dark area of the highway. Well, and, and you know what's interesting, Bill, and not to be overlooked, he went back the next day with his truck. Right. Like, if he didn't think he really saw something, he wouldn't go back. Right. He wanted to see yeah. what else he could find, and he found. Yeah. You know, really interesting, you know. And think about this. He's estimating a seven- to eight-foot-tall creature which is basically the height or almost the height of one of the rooms in our house, right? Yeah. But then he goes on to say his estimate from shoulder to shoulder, five feet. Yeah, and 20-inch feet. Feet. That's big. (laughs) That is a a big boy, man. That's a big one. Imagine that thing throwing a punch at you. Remember yeah. that cartoon character, the Hulk, that thing that was a rock? Oh, yeah. And that's what these things remind me of. Absolutely. Yeah. Cartoon Hulk. Yep. Unbelievable. No so there doubt. you have it. Yeah, two there really good it. accounts, Bill. I, I like them both. Yeah, they're real interesting, you know, and one is very different than the other. Uh, yeah, I mean, one, one be- back in 1915 going on this... You know, train journey, right, from Chicago to Toronto to Montreal to Quebec City. Uh, You know, back then in 1915, that was an adventure in itself without going out and uh, hunting for all those animals and seeing a hairy man. And then this modern-day highway patrol guy that runs into this, you know, tank of a Bigfoot. (laughs) Holy cow. Super cool. It really is unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. Now, uh, you know, again, I'm not divulging the state. Uh, no, no. But I can tell you this much. Northeast. Ah, okay. So uh, you could think of wherever you want, but it was Northeast United States. Yep. Cool, man. So 
What do we have, my brother? Oh, from yeah, our we got some listeners good today. listener mail again. So thank you, everyone, for writing in. You make the podcast better. So the first one's kind of a little bit of a complaint, but it's a good one, you know, and I understand where the guy's coming from. It's Steve from Canada. He doesn't say where in Canada, um, but he says, hey, guys, just found your podcast. Great show. There's only one thing that annoys my Canadian ass. <laughs> the knowledge the Americans have of Canada, and it ain't much. <laughs> I thought he was going to say it was rough toilet paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, just like your great United States of America, there are, some, there are something like your states here, but we call them provinces and territories. I know it's confusing. We're working to change it so that there is no confusion in the future. I'm sorry for this. It has, it, had, it has been the last straw, so to speak. Really do like your podcast, and please don't shoot one if you see one. I know you want to. <laughs> Steve. So, Steve, yeah, we, I, I've been up across your great country, and it really is a great country. It's so beautiful. And I get the provinces and territories. I will definitely mix up the concept of provinces and territories, because I thought they were all provinces. Like, I thought Northwest Territories was the name of a province, but I guess I'm wrong about that. It's actually a territory. So you're right. You should change that. It's confusing. <laughs> and you know my brother and I we don't really want to go out there and shoot a Bigfoot like that's not our goal um, and Bill correct me if you disagree um, we only talk about it like if if you run into one of these 10 footers like the one up at Port Chatham in Alaska that's ripping people apart and stuff well you know do you want to get ripped apart and end your <laughs> yeah. days on earth or throw some lead at them yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're both going to throw some lead at him, but I don't think we're just going to throw lead at him. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Listen, man, if one of these things come bearing down on you, it's time to send 600 grains downrange and quick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the bottom line. That's, that's why I always say always carry more gun than you think exactly. you're going to need. Exactly. Because when you're without it, that's going to be the time you're going to need it, and it's going to be too late for you. But my, but Steve in Canada, you know, you're right. Some people go out there hunting, literally hunting, for Bigfoot so they can bag one. Uh, but you know, that's not our thing. You know, yeah, we, nah, it would, it wouldn't be my thing. I wouldn't shoot one of these creatures just for the. Uh, you know, I think they're too cool and. Uh, you know, I feel bad for uh, folks that have a, a, a bad encounter or even those who may have been uh, dispatched by one. But, you know, I mean, you pick your poison in this life. And I think if you're going to entertain uh, being in certain areas, whether it's where a grizzly could possibly get you or a Bigfoot or anything else, hey, you know, you've made that decision. And if that happens to you, well, you know, what can I say, you know? Yeah, good There's stuff. There's a there's a margin in there that, uh, you know, you may win and you may lose, you know? No doubt. No doubt. So uh, next letter comes in from Lyle. Lyle doesn't say where he is, but he's talking about Utah. So maybe he's out in Utah. 
And the subject is Hairy Man in Utah. So, Lyle, you had me at the subject. (laughs) And Lyle writes, Hi, guys. I have bought all of Bill's audiobooks and just found the podcast, and I'm binging my way through all of them. Great. Yeah. I mentioned to a longtime friend who lives in northern Utah about the recent sightings there. He told me one of his cousins is a fur trapper in the mountains there. His cousin is about 6'6 and weighs 260. He has long hair and a full beard. He is often mistaken as a Sasquatch. (laughs) Listen to this. He scares the buttered popcorn out of the hikers (laughs) until he speaks. He has a very calming voice. Uh-huh. But he looks like it eat them for any meal, any day he can be found 15 miles up the mountain trail. Yeah, yeah. And he says, bye for now, and I carry a three fifty Remington Magnum when I'm in the woods. Nice. Nice. And, you know, he has a very calming voice, very similar to... That won't be necessary. <laughs> we just want to use your telephone. Can we use your telephone? I'd like to come in your house. <laughs> the black-eyed children. Ah. Well, you know, uh, six foot seven and uh, two sixty is a little small for a Bigfoot. Yeah, maybe a juvenile. Yeah, maybe a juvenile. Uh, but he's got some growing to do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The oh, next letter man. comes in from Mark. And Mark's subject is, yeah-wee. So well, you know I'm going to read that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, Bill, I wanted to send this short story from my son, Brett, and his buddy, who lives in Australia and has seen the Yowie a few times, this is a short incident. I know your brother, Kevin, loves the Yowie, so here it is. Please let me know if you need more info. Take care. And he mentions that he's a retired U.S. military. So thank you, Mark, for your service. Mm-hmm. So the account goes like this. My fiancé and I were driving along the Diagular Highway, a known Yowie hotspot, about 11 p.m. one night. We went down a hill that leveled out at the bottom before rising up another hill. As we were going down near the bottom, our headlights lit up the area, and on the left-hand side of the road, remember, we drive on the left-hand side of the road in Oz, This creature, your typical Bigfoot creature, moved off the side into the bush, and the size of the branches it moved out of its way were huge. So we both said, did you see that? It was tall, like about seven or eight feet, hairy all over, and walked like you would expect, with very long swinging arms. He wasn't in a big hurry, it seemed. That whole area is known as Yowie Country. Me and my mates uh, went out and camped out in the bush hunting them. I mean, in the middle of nowhere. The one night, our dog ran away. He was fearless, 
but he ran away. So there was definitely something there that was more than kangaroos because he's a kangaroo killer. Whoa. <laughs> he's a fearless hunter. He split because he was so scared, but he did come back the next morning. Yeah, wow. we. Yeah, what a freaking, you know, uh, you know, and you know what's amazing too, Kev. None of these creatures, and when I say these creatures, I'm basically talking about giant bears or the Bigfoot. They just kind of shove stuff around, walk through stuff that would like tear us up or poke holes in us or scratch us. Yeah, they just kind of shoving stuff around, busting stuff. Walking around in the woods like they're they're untouchable, you know, invincible. Exactly. And he described the same thing. He was shoving big branches out of his way, you know? Yep. I mean, there's no doctors. There's no helping them if they get wounded. But it's like, it almost seems like they don't care. Yep. I think I, uh, you know, I keep saying this. You remember the, uh, uh, when we were talking about the uh, Bigfoot coming out of the, the thicket, the briar patch? Yep. And that pheasant hunter banging off two loads oh, out yeah. of his gun at him. Yeah. I, I can't get it out of my head that these things literally have thick skin. Oh, yeah. You know, there's got to be something about their hide. Well, and Bill, it's at a distance, most of the stuff, and they're using pheasant shot or something like that. So it's not that hard to believe, right? No, but it, it, it I, I say no, but to me it's like, yeah, you know, come on, you know. Yeah. I mean, if I hit you with a knife, you're just going to keep running? Yeah. You know, but it seems they do, you yeah. know? Did you see that one episode of the Skinwalker Ranch thing? And I think that's going to be coming back on pretty soon. I hope so. I w- love that. Where, where those animals were attacking oh. those uh, llamas in yeah, the Yeah, the llamas. They had it on video, just like tearing oh. that one apart. And then they they were at with the uh, veterinarian during the daytime stitching that thing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that llama had like chunks oh, taken it out was of it, ripped apart. You know, still alive, but ripped and apart. It was like a saber toothed tiger got the thing. Yeah, I mean that was freaking nasty business, yeah. you know. But yet the llamas hanging out, the guys stitching them. I didn't see him inject them no. with any novocaine. He was just sewing them up. Very high threshold of pain, right? Yeah, the animal kingdom is freaking incredible, Absolutely. you know? Wow. All right, our next note comes in from Lou, and uh, his subject is observation on body language. This is pretty cool. He says, greetings, WJ and Kevin. Well, first off, Lou, thanks for acknowledging my existence. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Lou says, I'm, wor- I'm enjoying your podcast immensely. I've started at episode one, and I'm currently at 55, working my way to real time with y'all. Y'all. I know how to say (laughs) y'all. Obviously, there remain several episodes before I catch up, and by then, you may have already addressed this, but thought I'd put in my two cents worth. I've heard y'all wondering about some of Bigfoot's body language, and maybe I can cast light on it. I am a retired law enforcement, and body language is very important on the streets. Maybe there's a correlation. On face-to-face encounters on the street, often a person may wave their arms around. That is usually indicative of someone debating to themselves whether or not to fight. 
If they're agitated and their legs are moving, that's an indication of possible flight. Finally, if you put the two together, then can be something someone considering fight or flight. From the circumstances surrounding Bigfoot's behavior, this sounds reasonable. Yes, I know Bigfoot isn't your typical subject on the street, but that in any of any of itself doesn't necessarily mean I'm wrong. Hey, it's a theory. Anyway, I'm still so many episodes behind that if this is worthy of one of your signed books, I won't know it. So please, WJ, won't you finally give Kevin one? It's <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> making me cough. And he says, keep up the great work, guys. So pretty yeah. interesting. You know, the body language... Um, we see it a lot where the Bigfoot looks kind of agitated, shaking its arms, pacing back and forth, shaking its head, right? Yeah, it is weird behavior, you know. Remember that one uh, where the uh, the witness uh, said they looked like a nervous man waiting for a bus? Yeah, yeah. And the one, I always forget the name of the church group that saw him up on the ridge, pacing back and forth, shaking his arms, right, where they found the little... Uh, um, uh, nesting spot as well. Yeah, that was the Marble Mountain. Marble Mountain. I got to put. Yeah, a I mean that was here. the same thing though, right? Lifting up the same arms. It looked thing. like the first time I saw it, I was like, "That's like somebody who's agitated." Yeah, yeah, like somebody standing there, like, "Yeah, hey, what are you doing? Get out hey, of here! What, what should I do? What are they doing to my house down there? I don't know what to do." <laughs> I got you in my scope. <laughs> Bada bing, bada bang. <laughs> <laughs> I better not say that. The other guy's going to think I want to shoot Bigfoot. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's good stuff, Kevin. Lou, thanks a lot for your input. It's uh, well worth it. And we're glad for everybody that chimes in with us on uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And just hit the contact button and you will have made contact with us. Good stuff, Bill. Well, that's that's the letters for the week. So uh, good podcast, great feedback from our listeners. And uh, again, we keep getting these great five-star reviews. I want to thank all of you, not just for listening, um, but also for giving us these five-star reviews. And if you haven't given us one yet, please go to the podcast player that you're listening to right now. And give us five stars, you know, and, and your your five-star reviews are really important because it's really one of the only ways that we get new listeners to the podcast. And the more listeners we get, the more we can improve the quality of the podcast. So it's really important. And thank you so much for your support. And be safe out there. Keep writing in. Let us know how you're doing in this crazy COVID-19 world. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And by the way, if you're not giving us five stars, you're going to see stars. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have How to that, threaten Kevin? them, Bill. They're leaving us great that... reviews. <laughs> Is that good PR, Kev? Not good PR. <laughs> and, my friends, as we part company once again, remember, if you find yourself wandering around in the woods, always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.